you're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Episode three of the Big House Bleachers podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here with Matt Hartwell. Matt, how you feeling? I'm feeling fantastic, Mike. I mean, seven and zero, whooped the shit out of Penn State. Doesn't get much better than what we saw yesterday. It really doesn't. You know, this is what it's all about. When you're a fan, this is what you want to see. You go go into a top ten matchup. Uh, everybody's hating, everybody's doubting, you know, there, there's people out there saying, you know, Michigan's going to get exposed, you know, I, 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 you know, not to put anybody on blast, but there's some, you know, larger Twitter accounts out there that have been uh, saying Michigan's going to get exposed. And then, you know, we went into this game and, 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 uh, you know, we'll get into the game flow a little bit. I think the first half and the second half had very different identities, uh, as has been the case with a lot of Michigan games this year, but the thing that didn't change from half to half is Michigan absolutely controlled the line of scrimmage and they absolutely controlled the the first downs and, and the yardage uh, from beginning to end. The way the score looked and the way that that reflected on the scoreboard uh, was a little different half to half, but we dominated the whole game. Yeah, I mean, absolutely kudos to the run game and the offensive line. I mean, really, when you like break it down to the nitty gritty, though, it's a great team win. I feel like the like 60% of this win goes to obviously that offensive line and uh, Blake Corb and Donovan Edwards putting together a massive game on the ground. Well, speaking of Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, uh, you know, you can't help but but notice and feel uh, Mike Hart back on the sideline after that scary moment last week. He had a seizure. None of us really know what was going on. I I had a feeling he might be on the sideline because I saw him uh, Friday at a high school game uh, recruiting. And so I thought that was a good sign. He was out doing some football activities, but uh, I mean, what an amazing energy the the running backs had. And so, you know, I, I actually want to start our positional breakdown uh, with the running backs, not the quarterback, you know, how we normally do it. And and so let's talk a little bit about the RBs, bro. What'd you think? A well-deserving kickoff to the show to talk about the running backs. I mean, Donovan Edwards, uh, Blake Corum, obviously amazing as usual, 166 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, but Donovan Edwards in his return from injury also reeling in a couple touchdowns as well as 173 yards of his own. I mean, I thought it was amazing, an amazing comeback for uh, Mike Hart to see him on the sidelines. I feel like that kind of like pioneered that, uh, that excellent game for the two of them and just amazing to see, just watch all of it unfold. Yeah, man, it's wild. Uh, You know, you look at the box score after the game and Donovan Edwards actually had more yards than Corum. And I'm sitting here thinking like Corum is putting together one of the most epic like running back masterpieces of any Michigan running back ever in a top 10 matchup. And, and, And then all of a sudden you look at the box score after Donovan breaks a few big runs and it's like, holy shit, dude, like our our number two guy like technically had more rushing yards. And so, you know, 
Penn State was the number five overall rushing defense in the country coming into this game. And I think I think there's a quote of Urban Meyer saying before the game, like, well, well, we know Michigan ain't going to run the ball on these guys. Uh, you know, take that, Urban, right? Like, like that. For, what is that, 416, 418, something like that, yards? Um, an absolute uh, master class in, in rushing. I don't, I don't know what else you can say um, except quorum for Heisman. We're going to, you know, fans of the Big House Bleachers podcast know they're going to hear at least one quorum for Heisman every single episode. So let me just get that out of the way. Absolutely. It's all about Blake Corum for Heisman. Make no mistake, Donovan Edwards had an amazing game. He is the X factor of this offense. Really, I think Donovan Edwards is one of the most exciting components to this offense as it stands. But Blake Corum is an absolute 100% through and through Heisman candidate. You can't tell me otherwise. I don't want to hear anything about USC's quarterback or anything like that. Like, that's not what the Heisman is about. So people need to start including Blake Corum in this conversation. The guy is as consistent as it gets. Oh, man, without a doubt. And, you know, if I was going to pick my top three Heisman candidates right now, uh, Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, because that dude is just wild. And, and we'll talk about what happened with him a little bit later. Uh you know, I'll give CJ Stroud some credit as much as it pains me to say it like I, whatever. We'll let him, you know, be up there. I, I think he's earned the right to be considered uh, thus far in the season. But then Corum, right? Like, I think those are the three guys that really lead the Heisman conversation right now. So Corum for Heisman. Let's move on to the quarterback. Um, only one got to, actually. No, uh, I, I think. JJ did get relieved at one point in this game, but the majority of the snaps went to JJ. JJ started and finished the game for all practical purposes. You look at his stat line, 17 for 24, 145 yards and an interception. If I looked at that without watching the game, I would say, uh, you know, he did not have a good game. Uh, but what did you think? Honestly, I mean, aside from the interception, I thought J.J. had as good of a game as he possibly could have had, given the running, the performance of the running game yesterday. And it's almost, and like I said it last week on the pod, but it's almost Cade McNamara-like, you know? And it's really not having to do anything with, with J.J. or Cade. It's just the way that this Michigan team and this offense is structured, we run the shit out of the ball. We're very good at running the shit out of the ball. We're going to probably score four or five touchdowns on the ground almost every game. You know, obviously it's great to have that explosive component to the offense that JJ brings. Uh, you see it in the run game. I think JJ went for like 50 yards or something like that of, himself, of his own on the ground. So that's something that Cade McNamara can't do. So make no mistake, I'm not saying that like, like uh, we would be better or worse with JJ Arcade, but uh, JJ definitely brings a lot more explosive components to this offense that we get to see sprinkled throughout the game. Maybe not always because of the run game, but a good amount. Yeah. And the, you know, the haters are going to say, they're going to look at a stat line like this. And they're going to say, I told you he wasn't one of the best you know players in the country or best quarterbacks in the country. And, 
you know, I, I think us Michigan fans actually know what's going on because we watch the game and we understand uh, exactly what's happening. This is a Jim Harbaugh, you know, run the damn ball kind of kind of team. And JJ gives us exactly what we need throughout the game. He got a little lazy and tried to force that little, you know, tipped pass that went for the pick six. Like we all kind of knew that JJ was going to try to make some plays and that not all of them were going to pan out. Um, but the positives far outweigh the negatives with JJ. And, you know, he's accurate. E- even in a game like this with a stat line like this, uh, he was hitting Ronnie, Cornelius, and Roman on time. He looked good. And, th- and then there was that extra element, right? He he got us some first downs with his legs and kept some drives alive. Um, and yeah, that's Q- our QB1 killing it. And, and I do think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And he's going to be a difference maker uh, when we go into Columbus at the end of the year. I will. I will uh, say this, Mike, that uh, he does need to take care of the football a little bit better, um, and that's really not even a knock against his his interception or anything like that. It's more just uh, kind of a you, you know. I know you saw the one play where he uh, was sensing the sack you know coming right his way and he just threw that shit up in the air to and i think it floated down luckily into the hands of blake corum but i mean it, it was kind of a stroke of luck that he was able to force that play i mean jim harbaugh you saw on the sidelines just shook his head and uh didn't even like laugh or joke or anything but you could tell i mean obviously he was just kind of like what the fuck about it going his way, but uh, he just needs to be careful about what he's forcing and things like that. Right. I went through the whole range of emotions during that play because I'm like, no, 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 and then, you know, and then Blake caught the ball, and but of course he's doing this like little shimmy on the sideline. I'm like, yes, 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 you know, it, it was. But I, I'm with you, and you know, coming into the season, I I had this theory that starting J.J. McCarthy would give us 14 extra points a game, but would probably give the other team seven extra points a game just based on uh, ball security issues. And, you know, if we're going to win a national championship, if we're going to beat teams like Georgia and beat Ohio State again and, and win in the playoffs, uh, we're going to have to cut out those errors, right? We, we can probably beat a Penn State or uh, in Illinois, who looks like they might be strong. We can probably beat those teams with a turnover or two. Uh, But the big dogs, that's not going to cut it. Let's take a look at the pass catchers. Let's look at the the wide receivers and tight ends for this game. You know, because J.J. didn't rack up a lot of passing yards, uh, there's not a lot of really remarkable things to say. But our our three main guys – looked good our three main receivers roman ronnie cornelius they looked good uh did you anything that you wanted to add about the receivers um really no and the receiving group they just kind of have games like that you know where our running game kind of takes off and they just kind of like fade into the background they uh like you said our our top guys were pretty consistent loved seeing roman wilson get back in the mix from injury awesome what i really loved to see uh which was also kind of a question mark simultaneously was 
uh, Colston Loveland and uh, Max Bredesen getting in the mix at, at the same time too. I was even like tweeted something about it. Like, where is Luke Schoonmaker at? You know, cause um, both of them were, were in the game at the same time. And I thought that was kind of odd, but I mean, Loveland obviously coming down with that awesome um, play that got turned back. Uh, but um, it was cool to see a little bit of the future sprinkled in there, but I did happen to see Scoodmaker later in the game and he caught a pass. So seemed to be fine, but uh, just what was wondering, cause we were, didn't even have that big of a lead at that time either. And to have those tight ends in the game, I just wasn't sure what was uh, the strategy was with that. You know, I wonder if uh, James Franklin uh, and Manny Diaz were, were selling out to stop Schoonmaker just based on the tape from the last couple weeks. Um, I, I didn't I couldn't really see downfield. You know, it's tough to see coverages downfield. Um, but. I wonder if they just made a concerted effort to shut down Schoonmaker. And so we were just like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll get our, our other tight ends in the game to throw you off, send them a couple passes. And then just, I mean, really, we didn't have to throw it much. Right. So like, you know, when you're getting, you know, seven to 12 runs up the gut uh, behind Olu, yeah, you don't really have to air it out. And, and, you know, speaking of Olu, let's move on to the O line. I'll I'll hand this one off to you because this, this might be the most exciting positional breakdown man what'd you think of the o-line i mean i love our o-line and like there's so much talk of course this year about uh, is this the best o-line that michigan's had and so and so i don't know i'm not sure how to how the, that comparison works with o-lines exactly but this offensive line for michigan is as good as i've ever seen it olu olu watimi is a beast. He's like, I kind of think he's kind of like Caesar, Lu- Caesar Ruiz, only a little bit better. Even if I'm like, dare I say, I think that this guy uh, might, might be a late first round draft pick uh, second round, but uh, he is, he's doing everything right. He's uh, he's a Wolverine through and through obviously uh, hats off to the other guys, Trevor Keegan, way to step up for him. Um, and it's just been awesome to, to watch it unfold. And again, like, like you said, I don't know if it's the best O-line Michigan's ever had. I mean, Michigan's the kind of school that that, that's a, those are really big words, right? We've had, you know, the Steve Hutchinson's of the world and the Jake Long's like we've had some, some really good O-lines, but I'm convinced that we're, we're once again, the best O-line in the country, right? We've got the best O-line in the country again, without a doubt. And and the thing that's interesting is we're doing it in a day and age where college football is played a little bit differently. Um, There's a lot of pass protection. There's a lot of spread the ball out and get it to your, your playmakers. There's not a lot of teams that are successfully at a high level, just jamming it down your throat, right? Like that was the playbook in, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you don't really see that a lot now. And Michigan does it perfectly behind, uh, you know, what I believe is the best O-line in the country. Yeah, and again, just to say, it's it's extremely impressive um, how they've developed at that position. And you wonder, uh, with with the depth, with Trent Jones falling out last, last week, you wondered about it, and still... 
against what was considered to be one of the best um, units in the country at stopping the run, they kind of just imposed their will on them, and it was excellent to see. Yeah, Barnhart uh, ste- has been stepping up for Trente and and uh, didn't miss a beat. I, I I couldn't identify any areas where he like you know missed an assignment or anything like that. And then we go to the other side of the ball. We go to the D line, and Penn State brought in. You know, this guy, uh, Nick Singleton, who was the number one running back recruit in the country last year. Um, He's really had a few really impressive games. And then they got another back. I forget the guy's name. They got another back that's excellent as well. And uh, I had some Penn State followers telling me before the game that we had to watch out for both of them, that they were going to kill us. Well, neither running back got more than 19 rushing yards. 19 right like the the all of their rushing yards came from one play when sean clifford uh you know took it up the gut and and uh you know gave us all a headache in the first half but their running backs were non-existent so you know i i gotta think mozzie and and chris jenkins are the the names that stick out first but that whole d line what'd you think of them Man, uh, first and foremost, what a game for Mozzie Smith. And every time I see Mozzie Smith like break loose of a of a block, you know what I mean? And he's about to sack the quarterback and he just misses. I die a little bit inside, I feel like. <laughs> but um, he had a great game, um, was super effective. He was everywhere. Uh, Jenkins also very solid. Looked to be looked to me like he. I don't know what the snap counts were, but it looked like Yabi Oki was kind of a little bit uh, absent from this game, minus a couple of uh, one or two snaps that he was pretty effective. But Chris Jenkins was very effective, saw his name called out a lot. And uh, I mean, they didn't get a lot of sacks. I think Mike Barrett um, split one uh, with who was it? I, yeah, I don't remember. Mike Barrett split one, um, and and then uh, R.J. Moten got the other one. I know that. That's right. R.J. Moten got one, and uh, and Mike Barrett split one. It might have even been with Chris Jenkins. I can't remember. Don't quote me on that. But uh, I thought they were effective. Uh, obviously, Clifford escapes the pocket a lot. He's afraid to take the sacks, understandably so, but... He was rattled all throughout the game, constantly running outside of the pocket from what I remember. And uh, and they just wreaked havoc on him. So we, we took the win, that's for sure. And we saw something similar to what we've seen a lot uh, this season where they were getting amazing uh, pass pressure, but they couldn't bring the quarterback down. And then as the game went on, they started to just continue to wear down that O-line the quarterback took some hits. Every everybody on the offensive side of the ball started to slow down a little bit, and then finally, that's when we saw those sacks come in at the end of the game. But I'm with you, man. I die a little on the inside. Every you know, they get into the backfield, they get both hands on the quarterback. I know Sean Clifford's like not a small dude, but you got to bring him down. Like, come on, and, you know. And, Especially Mozzie Smith. I mean, like the guy is so close on so many. Uh, big plays and sacks and things like that. And he's always just like that close and they break loose on him. So I think we're just saving them all for the Buckeyes, man. I think, I think just like first quarter, we're just going to, you know, go after Stroud. 
So the linebackers, you know, I'm looking at the linebackers and, you know, we could just say the same thing about Junior Colson every week. He He's amazing. R.J. Moten got the sack. Uh, you know, the, the one thing I wanted to, to talk about is did, did you see the Junior Colson story on Fox Big Noon kickoff? Did you did you see that by any chance before the game? Oh, it was incredibly inspirational, like some Sandra Bullock uh, blindside type stuff amazing all jokes aside i mean it was uh it was a very heartwarming story i i cried a single tear watching it it was uh beautiful what they did for him and obviously a, a gr- just a great character in junior colson all around a great human being and couldn't be more deserving of the life he has now here in uh here in the states and and everything that he's done so far at the university of michigan well it just so happened that so i was watching game day and they did a story on Michi again, like an extended version of the the Michi story already. So of course, like I'm in tears. And if, if anybody doesn't know the the Michi story, I mean, this guy was a top recruit, got diagnosed with bone cancer, had his leg amputated. Harbaugh and the team have embraced him. They've been giving him game balls. They let him come out to the big house and run a touchdown. And uh, you know, just a just an amazing young man in a, a heart-wrenching story. And, and so I, I watched game day and they did this story on Michi. And so of course I'm just, I'm just crying, you know, like you're not human if you can watch a Michi story and not just ball. And then I, and then I switch it right over to big noon and they're doing that junior Colson story. And, you know, junior was born in Haiti, which is one of the poorest countries in the world. Um, dad died when he was, I think it was like six or nine years old. He was very young and his dad passed away. And, Luckily, he had this amazing family, the Colsons, that that uh, I think they lived in Tennessee, actually. And, and uh, mom was a big Michigan fan and everything. So they, they adopted him, brought him over. Turns out he's a, you know, a badass at football and ends up going to Michigan. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's just really cool when you get these beyond Buy the movie rights, Disney. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Blindside two. Blindside two. Um all right, let's move on to the the secondary here. Uh, I, I didn't see them much for some reason. Like I like it felt like they must have been doing a good job because the ball didn't seem to get into the secondary very much. So it was hard for me to tell how each individual was playing. Uh, what what's your assessment? Well, I got to talk about first uh, Will Johnson's hit. On Sean Clifford, oh my goodness, sit down. Clifford, sit, sit. (laughs) It was amazing. I mean, Will Johnson, you've just been waiting for him to like come up with a play, just feeling it, you know, and have kind of like a Michigan moment. And uh, he delivered that in uh, during Sean Clifford's run where he just hit him with the shoulder, didn't even move. Sean Clifford fell down like a little bitch and Will Johnson... Gave him one of those looks like, yeah, we're going to win this football game. And it was amazing. Is it just me or does Michigan just destroy Sean Clifford every year? It's been like nine years in a row. We've just killed that fucking guy. Like, I, if I were him, I would just refuse to play Michigan again. I'm sure he has like five more years of eligibility or something. I That dude's not, never going to go away. But for as long as I can remember, we've been just destroying Sean Clifford. It feels like he's like taking off on a stretcher every single game. 
I know. And, you know, it's really um, not even just us. Poor Sean Clifford. Uh, Penn State, they've done... His, they've done a bad job over the last couple of years of protecting that guy. And this was supposed to be kind of the year that that offensive line was improved around him. And uh, for all intensive purposes, they were um, for the, the first five games of the season. But um, but um, anyways, also in the secondary, I just want to get a little rant out. Those guys have got to stop dropping interceptions for the love of God. We should have like so many interceptions. DJ Turner, DJ specifically, I'm calling you out. I, you're not watching the Big House Bleachers podcast, he probably, might. but he might. <laughs> you might be, but I'm challenging you to catch an interception for the boys. Come on. Man, so I, I had the same reaction because that was the second one that was like could have gone to the house, right? The one the one he had a couple of weeks ago it was just in his bread basket, should have taken it to the house. And then this one, uh, it looked like he might have had one guy to beat and, and probably could have taken it. Um, I, my wife was like, calm down. It was a good play. Like he batted the ball down. I'm like, no, like he should have caught the damn ball like that. You, you know, DJ is like an all American caliber corner. Um, and, and, you know, joking aside, uh, we loved, we love DJ Turner. Like he's, he's the fucking man. Like we know one DJ- of the best athletes in the secondary, but that's exactly why we pick on him. You know what I mean? Cause you expect your guys, um, at your veteran guys at those positions and you expect DJ Turner to come down with that play. So, so, uh, challenge to you, DJ Turner. We know you got it in you, so let's do it. And you brought up the Will Johnson hit, which also had me super hyped. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, But what got him in the game and got him a little more playing time at that point in the game was actually uh, Jamon Green looked like he went down with like a little shoulder injury. And and, uh, he already had like a shoulder brace on. I don't recall him getting hurt in a prior game. I could be wrong. I might have missed it. But... He did come back in, so I'm not super worried about it. But it, it looked a little, you know, I was a little sketched out seeing him come off the field. Did, do you know anything about his injury? I, I'm not sure. You know, I saw him go down, and then he was uh, sitting down what um, as if he was something was going on with him. And then he got up, and then he sat, and then he got down again before exiting the field. So it looked like, it almost looked to be like something very serious. And then to see he was in the game again, Later in the game, that was relieving. Uh, but uh, yeah, I have no idea. Michigan very secretive about their injuries always. Yeah, he might have one of those little like rotator cuff stinger type things that they know they can put him back in the game, but it's just one that, that is is rough every now and then. Let's move Last on to the kicking on game. The, uh, oh yeah, on the secondary though. They did allow DJ Turner a little bit of redemption for you. They did only allow 157 yards through the air. So amazing game for them. And really, you know, before we move on from the defense entirely, uh, the entire unit, including Jesse Minter, the defensive coordinator, uh, deserve a, a ton of credit because I wouldn't say Penn State is one of the you know most explosive, powerful offenses in the country. But let's be real, they're an undefeated Big Ten team, probably a top 10, top 15 caliber, you know, talent across the board. 
and Michigan just shut them down. They, they, they didn't even score 17 points. They really scored 10 points, right, because that because of that pick six. So, you know, Michigan held that team to 10 points total. Speaking of, you know, scoring, you know, for better or for worse, Moody got uh, a lot of action. Our, our other kicker, our punter, did not get a lot of action. Uh, what do you think about our kickers? I honestly feel that Jake Moody had the best game of his year. Uh, did you see that tackle that he got? Oh, bro. I, yeah, I forgot about that. I man. almost forgot to talk about it on this podcast until I was like, yeah. finish it up, making a last couple little bit of notes. I was notating that he went four of four, which already is awesome. But then he laid that sweet shoulder tackle, just just really laid into that guy. And he's the one that kicked the damn ball. So it was yeah. just amazing to see that awesome i mean that's just like tops probably any game that he'll play for the remainder of this year to me <laughs> i think he might have saved the touchdown i mean that guy had a little bit of space uh, you know that he, he was he was doing that thing that punt or kick returners do when they you know they beat one or two guys and they're speeding up and they they might they might take it and and moody just came out of nowhere and just laid him out i saw that that was incredible well, I mean, when the kicker has to be the one to tackle someone, you have you have to feel like they're probably one of the they're going to be one of the only lines of defense. So, fuck yeah. And and you know, I would say Brad Robbins probably had his best game ever as well. I I didn't I didn't notice a single bad punt from him. Yeah, nor a punt at all for Brad <laughs> Robbins. I mean. Excellent to see that. Um, I will say that, like, I'm missing Caden Colasar a little bit and uh, his special teams nuisance finesse that he brings to that uh, that special teams defensive unit, you know, getting in people's faces, wreaking havoc. They haven't really had that um, when it comes to comes to uh, preventing special teams plays or anything like that. So missing you, Caden. Um but other than that, I mean, I thought a great, great all-around game from special teams so to, uh, yesterday just because of Jake Moody and his fucking awesome tackle. Yeah, and, and you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about game flow now. We didn't really touch on that yet. For me, it was an incredibly frustrating first half um, because of all of the field goals. You know, we've talked about this on the pod before where – we don't know if it's the offensive play calling rhythm or, you know, if it's just execution, but for whatever reason, we show, we show the ability to move the ball down the field with ease. And then for whatever reason, it just dies, you know, it's somewhere we either questionable play calling or, or we miss a pass or we take a, a, a you know, a sack or a penalty or a, a, a TFL and the, the, you know, 16 to 14 at the end of the first half, uh, if you would have told me that prior to the game, I probably would have been like, all right, you know, Michigan's playing pretty well. Like we got a little lead, like top 10 matchup. Okay. But, but then you watch the first half and the way that it unfolded, like I, I was, I was actually concerned that we were going to lose the game. I thought we were leaving the door open. Penn state was going to stay close. They were going to figure some shit out in the second half. And we were going to, we were going to, you know, 
look back at those field goals and wish they were touchdowns. How were you feeling at halftime? You know, Mike, I honestly feel like this uh, is one of the most fascinating Michigan teams we've ever seen, just because it's almost as if they like get their opponents into like this dog fight in the first half. And then by the time the second half comes, these guys got nothing left for them or something. I really don't know what's happening, but I mean, it's not, it's almost as if it's a part of their game plan at this point to like be narrowly either tied or narrowly winning over any opponent that they're facing at halftime. And then just out, fucking kill them at half to, uh, after halftime <laughs> it's just the flow of each game and uh i yesterday i wasn't really worried in the slightest because one they picked up that inner that pick six but other than that early on you could see that this penn state uh offense was not going to be able to move the ball they tried the run uh two or two drives two or three drives consecutively was shut down Went to the passing game. That also wasn't working. Got an extremely lucky break on that long Clifford run. That was painful to watch every 20 seconds that that was taking place. Um, But other than that, I mean, I think Michigan just kind of plays. Its game flow can be best described as we play with our food for a half and then we win for an entire second half. I love that metaphor. See, for for me, I... I think it's just the trauma of like years past, you know, that, that creeps up on me where I'm like, I'm like, we're going to lose to this team that we're just way fucking better than, you know, shades of Michigan State and Ohio State in years past. Every time we go down and get a field goal and not a touchdown, I'm like, oh, my God, here we go again. Right. Like we're going to outgain them and somehow they're going to figure something out. I should have remembered like this is Penn State. It's not Michigan State. Right. Like, Michigan State for whatever reason, like the flukiest stuff happens in those games. But uh, yeah, I was a little nervous. I, you know, and maybe that was just me spiraling at halftime or whatever. But, but then we came out in the second half and just showed we are a much, much better football team than Penn state. I don't think anybody came out of that game thinking like, Oh, well, Penn state just had a bad day or anything like that. It's like, no, Michigan asserted their dominance in a top 10 matchup and really proved that they're one of the best three or four teams in the country. There, there's really no argument you can make now that says Michigan's not in that top three or four te- uh, teams. Absolutely. They crushed it, and I, I'm obviously going to have a fit if, uh, you know, obviously Tennessee took care of business against Bama, but – uh, it's an it's yet another situation where an SEC team is beating another SEC team. So hopefully we just don't find ourselves in a situation where there's any drama this week or SEC bias and Michigan is being forced to, on the outside looking in after another good performance. Hopefully they get their due credit. Well, you're gonna you're gonna be mad at me when when we t- when you see my power rankings. We'll talk a little bit about Tennessee later in the show when we when we un- unveiled the pump the brakes segment but let's look at our five bold predictions uh go ahead and and uh kick off your five bold predictions for Penn State and and let's see how you did all right so 
I let off my five bold predictions with uh, Mike Morris would lead the Big Ten in sacks after this game, which obviously that did not happen. He was already a half sack behind uh, Jacoby Winman of uh, Michigan State. Um, so, and he didn't have a sack at all yesterday. He had an awesome tackle for loss early in the game. Uh, made an excellent play for as far as that's concerned, but no sacks for Morris. Uh, second prediction, I did get correct. Penn State throws for under 200 yards. We did hold them to uh, about 154 passing yards, if I'm not mistaken, total between uh, Clifford and Aller. And uh, JJ over 300, I had as my third prediction. JJ did not even come close to going over 300 yards for a second week in a row. But again, he was not called upon to do such a thing. Do I believe that he's capable of doing it if called upon? Absolutely. Uh, But that running game just went crazy, which leads into my fourth prediction. Donovan getting into the end zone. Double right. Donovan did get into the end zone uh, and score a couple touchdowns. And uh, fifth, I had Michigan stops a corny James Franklin special teams play, which I don't really think we had any like crazy James Franklin. I'm so surprised. special plays yeah, or anything like that. But. I am so surprised he didn't fake a punt from his own 30 halfway through the second quarter or something. You know what I mean? Like he, he outsmarts himself uh, so often. I'm surprised we didn't see that. So. You didn't even really have an opportunity to stop anything like that. Um, you know, Nothing at all. I was surprised. When I write my bold predictions, I make sure that I don't look at yours first. So it's completely separate. And I just happen to have two of the exact same predictions that you had this week. Uh, my first prediction was uh, Sandra still rocks the turnover buffs. I figured... He's so active on defense. Like, he's the, he's the guy uh, to rock the buffs this week. That didn't happen. We didn't get a turnover. Didn't need one. Didn't matter. That was fine. Uh, I said Michigan would hold Singleton under 75 yards rushing. Obliterated that one. The guy barely moved at all. I think he got, like, basically all of his yards on the last two drives when he, he had, like, 12 or 15. Yeah, he, he got nothing. Um, I said Corum would have his Heisman moment or a not hit, not his, he's going to have more, but he would have a Heisman moment in this game. And that that's a, not really a tangible one, you know, cause there's no yardage attached to it, but he left no question, right? Like that absolutely was a Heisman moment. Uh, I'll give that to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Top 10 matchup, two touchdowns, 160 something yards. I mean, that, that is a Heisman moment. So I got that one. Donovan in the in the end zone, uh, same thing as you got that, and then uh, I said JJ goes over three hundred, same as you, and and uh, didn't get it, but again didn't need it. So uh, we both did, you know, pretty good. These are bold predictions, and we I think we came out on top. Oh yeah, as everyone that listens knows, we go on average two of five every single week. At least myself, <laughs> I get. At least two out of five, right? Well, it's like, I don't know if you ever heard of, like about setting goals. They say like, if you're reaching all your goals, then you're setting them too low. But if you're reaching like only half of them, you're like, they're too hard or whatever. And 
I feel like that, that's what these bold predictions are, right? We're getting kind of that healthy number where they're bold enough to where we're not getting all of them, uh, you know, but, you know, we're, we're, we're leaving some room to, to, to get a couple of them. Would like to see uh, Mike Sainer still rocking them turnover buffs, though. Oh, we're going to see that. Yeah, he, he's going to he would look he would look cold in the buffs. We're definitely going to see that. Uh, let, let's move on to the Big Ten in general. So Illinois um, actually looks like they might be one of the the tougher matchups we've got left on the schedule. Probably the toughest matchup uh, prior to Ohio State. Uh, they're a one loss team. They're a top twenty five team. Uh, have Have you gotten your eyes on Illinois at all this season? I am. It's looking like Illinois uh, might be a a um, a team that we played twice this year, if I'm not mistaken. Dare I say? It could it could end up being a Big Ten championship preview uh, based on the way things are shaping up. So, you know, I, I haven't watched them play much, but I, I've been following the box scores. I've been seeing what they've been doing. And, uh, you know, they did lose to Indiana, which is not a great team, but it was a three-point loss. And, you know, they slipped up. And other than that, they've looked really good. So Illinois, you know, stays a one-loss team. Purdue beat Nebraska, which, uh, you know, should be surprising. But at this point, like Nebraska losing is is no surprise. And then uh, Maryland beat Indiana. So not, you know, not a lot of action in the Big Ten. And anything else you, you want to add to the Big Ten? Um, I don't think so. And I will say that I'm not threatened by Illinois. There was actually a, a fan that uh, – uh, responded to something that I had said on Twitter or something. And they said, as an Illinois fan, this has been fun, but I think Michigan will whoop our ass. <laughs> so for what that's worth, what that tells you, I mean, Illinois, they've had some good little fluky wins, but as they get further into their schedule, I'm sure that they'll lose before they play Michigan. You know what I mean? And it'll become much less of a, a hyped matchup. Hopefully they hang on to to that ranking until Michigan can put the beat down on them. But other than that, um, and the Michigan State win over Wisconsin, nothing really jumped out at me uh, this weekend in the Big Ten. On the national stage, however, uh, absolute madness took place, and I, I am here for it. it uh, you know, last week I, I – made that tide is turning kind of joke about Alabama's showing some weakness. And then sure enough, Tennessee uh, in a, a no defense kind of shootout game in the SEC beat Alabama with the ugliest looking game winning field goal I've seen in my life. And it made me so fucking happy. Uh, did you, did you watch that game? I did watch that game. And um you know, it's just great to see. I don't think Alabama is the threat that uh, that we're used to seeing them in recent years. But I mean, it it was just your what your comment about that being the ugliest looking field goal was exactly on point. But uh, kudos to Tennessee for taking down Nick Saban and the Tide and and busting this thing wide open, man. I mean, this is college football. And then I don't know if you saw late last night. I know you're on the East Coast, and so it was really late last night. But USC actually went down to Utah uh, 
as well. So now we're looking at, uh, you know, I think there's nine undefeated teams left, maybe eight undefeated teams left in the country. We're starting to whittle them down. Utah actually went for two with less than a minute left. Uh, they had nothing to lose anyway, right? They came into the season with a lot of high expectations. They've already got two losses. They said, you know, fuck it. We're going we're gonna to go for two. They got it. Um, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, the USC Trojans uh, drop a game. And for a Pac-12 team to lose, I think that pretty much solidifies that they won't make uh, the college football playoff. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the Pac-12, I joke uh, at their expense all the time, but they're just not a conference that can compete with the rest of the Power Five. And I mean, until they can prove otherwise, then I won't take them seriously. I mean, they, they're another one of those division or conferences that just kind of cannibalizes each other, guaranteed that every one of their teams is going to take on some losses throughout the season. and. And uh, there's just no real threat that they pose to any of the Big Ten or SEC or anything like that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, so TCU uh, beat Oklahoma State, so there's another unbeaten that goes down. And and if I was going to pick one of those two to lose, I think I think Oklahoma State losing is better because TCU is more likely to drop a game later in the season. Specifically, I think they'll lose to Texas. Um Ole Miss did not look great, but stayed unbeaten against Auburn. And then Syracuse uh, is building quite the resume. Syracuse is still unbeaten. You know, of the uh, lower-ranked unbeaten teams, does anybody stick out to you as a a potential college football playoff uh, dark horse? Uh, I kind of like TCU. I think that they've done well. Ole Miss, I'm sure that – that it's only a matter of time. They have yet to really play anybody of actual significance on their resumes. So they still have yet for us to figure out what they're actually made of. Syracuse, you know, they're in a division that, that could be up for grabs. We'll see what happens. They've been known to give Clemson problems. So we'll see how that pans out. I don't think Clemson is really um is really all that this year i think that they have yet to be truly tested i mean some of those teams have wins against like nc state and stuff like that on their resume but i don't really trust nc state understandably so after uh last weekend but um other than that i i don't really see too many actual threats i think bama i mean they still probably belong in like the top five or six. So it's difficult for me to say whether or not TCU is a top five team. Uh, but. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get to that in a second. I think, I think TCU, uh, I think their resume is looking pretty strong. So I'll, I'll have a few words for them shortly. Uh, and then, you know, my other thing that I noted is that uh, Notre Dame lost their third game and, they're in shambles and you know, their, their fans are just like punching up right now, trying to, trying to be relevant, trying to start fights with, with fan bases like Michigan. And honestly, like I don't even have time to talk to a Notre Dame fan right now. They're so irrelevant and so bad. And I, I just don't feel bad about it at all. Right. Like I, I just, I just don't. Absolutely not. I've got a buddy of mine that's a good, uh, a, a big Notre Dame fan, and me and him will go at it uh, all season long since 
uh, Michigan and Notre Dame never really played too recently in the last few years and for the next several, but we'll go back and forth. And he's just been dead radio silent this entire time. I'm wondering for his safety and one maybe going to file a police report, but those Notre Dame fans are just dropping off of the map at this rate. But now it's time for uh, this segment we're going to give a try called Pump the Brakes. Uh, let's go ahead and jump right in. I'm going to hit you with a somewhat either controversial or against the grain take, and you, you have the opportunity to tell me uh, if you agree or if I need to pump the brakes. All right, let's I already do it. know that. I already know that I'm right about all these, so you probably won't tell me to pump the brakes at all because, uh, in my opinion, these are all genius takes that are obviously correct. But I'm going to go ahead and start with one that we're going to find out next week. The Syracuse Orangemen will beat Clemson next week. And originally I wrote that Syracuse would win the ACC, but I, I, I looked at their schedule and I backed away from that a little bit. But you know, Syracuse just beat NC State, who I was not really that high on, but a lot of people were high on NC State. They're undefeated. Clemson's showing a little bit of weakness here and there. They haven't looked great. They beat a good Florida State team by six. Um, I am going to say that given the trend of college football, Bama going down this week, that Syracuse will beat the Clemson Tigers. I'm not even going to disagree with that take. That's a brilliant take. Keep Man, driving. let's keep let's keep driving. What you got, Matt? So I have Mel Tucker or Marcus Freeman on the hot seat this year. I'm going to go ahead and tell you to pump the brakes because there is no way in hell that the Michigan State Spartans are going to give up on their saint, the Messiah, the Savior, Mel Tucker. They will go down, they will go down burning with Mel Tucker. Now, Marcus Freeman, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think they'll give him more than just one year, but with the state of college football, who knows? If they see a sexier option, they might go after him. But uh, we're gonna pump the brakes on on the Mel Tucker thing and and I'm you know, I hope that he's there for the entirety of his contract so we can, uh, you know, we can see him just just spiral with the Spartans. Uh, next up, for me, I'm going to go ahead and say that Illinois is the third best team in the Big Ten. I think we all know Ohio State and Michigan. Whatever order you have those two in, they're number one and number two. The Illini and I are the third best team in the Big Ten. I'm going to go ahead and tell you to pump the brakes on that one, Mike. Wow. Why so? And I'm just going to say they're, they're in a weak West. I know that they've impressed with some wins over Iowa. I still I think that they're up there, uh, probably maybe the fourth, maybe the fourth best team. I still believe that, uh, that Penn State is probably uh, on a little bit different uh, of a level than Illinois. I mean, it's still Illinois. They've pulled out some good wins. I know they they handled Minnesota. They handled uh, who else they got here? They got Minnesota. They got a nine to six uh, juggernaut win against Iowa. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they've done some things. They beat Virginia, uh, beat Wisconsin, so they've done some things. But I'm going to say pump the brakes, fourth best. All right, what you got? So I'm going to say Alabama is not a playoff team this year. Yeah, there's nothing to say there. I, I agree with you. Bama's not going to make the playoffs. Let's Freezing keep driving. Cold take. <laughs> All right. You're going to love this one. I crafted this one just for you, my friend. Tennessee is the number one team in the country. Now, let me explain. I am not saying that Tennessee is the best team in the country. I believe that a scheme like Michigan could probably beat them. I believe a team like Ohio State could probably outscore them. But given their resume, they've won four out of their last five games, or four out of their last five wins have been against AP top 25 teams. By resume, the Tennessee Volunteers have earned the right for at least one week to be the number one team in the country. I'm going to go ahead and way pump the brakes on Tennessee, my friend. I mean, I think Tennessee on a big stage performed. Uh, they handled their business against Alabama, have cast Alabama and Nick Saban off to the realms of irrelevancy for this year. But of those ranked matchups, what are they? A win over the Florida Gators? Over LSU? Over Alabama? And Pitt? Ball State and Akron is their resume this year. So while those are SEC teams, they remain only ranked wins for the purpose of SEC bias, in my opinion. I think Tennessee, number four. I knew you were going to do your research on this one, so I'm glad you came strapped with the facts. But let me ask you this. Give me a team that has a better resume thus far in the season. Honestly, for the purpose of of ranking the season, the way that it's structured. I do believe that Tennessee deserves their credit. Uh, they've handled everything that's been thrown at them. So to your credit, sir, uh, as the rules have it, Tennessee uh, deserves their spot. I still think uh, by the eye test lot and by logic is concerned in where some of those matchups currently stand. Uh, I mean, you saw it. I don't know if you watched the LSU versus Florida matchup, but I mean, those teams, those are two teams that have played some ugly games this year. So I, I'm not buying too much stock into it. I think uh, that win against Alabama is impressive and they belong in the playoff uh, discussion. Absolutely. So long as they don't blow it the rest of the year. But um, Oh, they're going to blow it. <laughs> They're gonna find a way to blow it. I'm not. I'm not a Tennessee bandwagon guy. I mean, I I hate Tennessee. I'm but just, by I'm just resume, speaking. They yeah, have I mean, you know, somebody's got to be number one. Absolutely. I mean, I'm trust me, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not discredited in that. They the 
they are going to need an SEC team in that number one spot. They can't have it as a Big Ten team. Right. And, and if you put Georgia on the side of their helmet and then put and then play through their schedule, you know that they would be ranked number one, right? And so a right. lot of it has to do with uh, just the brands that we're used to seeing. All right, let's keep on driving. What you got? I got... Blake Corum for Heisman. And really, I mean, it's, it's, that's also more of a freezing cold take at this point. If I'm not, I mean, who is, who have we really got competing against him? I know it's a quarterback's award and a, a quarterback award and, uh, and quarterbacks are going to be more heavily looked at upon it. But Blake Corum is just as consistent as it gets. Uh, just an, an all American, um, an all-American college football player. Just he's guaranteed to light up the scoreboard every single week. I love it. Well, and you know I'm not going to tell you to pump the brakes on this one. So it, you know, I, I keep driving, honk the horn a couple times, uh, flick off a Buckeye out the window, keep on driving, right? Like Blake Corum will win the Heisman. Uh, let's go. So my last one for you is. I've got this is kind of similar to the TC or to the Tennessee discussion. I've got TCU as a top five team right now, and I think a lot of people would argue with that. Um, they've ta- they've taken the you know the top half of the Big Twelve and and pretty much demolished them. They took what what I thought was the best team in the Big Twelve, the Oklahoma State. Uh, Cowboys to overtime and then beat them in overtime this last weekend. I, I think you have a clear four best teams in the country right now in, in whatever order, Michigan, Ohio state, Georgia, and Tennessee are your top four. And then I say TCU is number five, the TCU horned frogs, number five team in the country. And I am like, honestly, I'm probably going to do like a, a half-ass pump. The, really, we're probably going to hydroplane on this one because I'm really very on the fence about it. I mean, TCU, they're very deserving of that spot. I think I think it'd be an interesting matchup, them versus Alabama. Now, obviously, Alabama just lost in uh, epic fashion to Tennessee, and uh, I don't feel that they're a playoff team. But I still think that uh, that that talent level of them with TCU is very close based off of what we've seen from TCU so far. So um, by resume, by undefeatedness, I, we'll, we're just going to hydroplane and I'm not going to pump the brakes and we're probably going to get into an accident, but <laughs> I'm uh, going <laughs> to let that one stand. And uh, you just coined a, a Big House Bleachers original trademarked uh, word undefeatedness that's that there you go a new word for you all right only reserved for for undefeated teams (laughs) and and what else you got i just got the same brand of michigan football that we've watched through this first seven weeks is good enough to beat the buckeyes in columbus this year it would be blasphemy for me to pump the brakes on that statement. I'm 
willing to admit that I'm very nervous about going into Columbus and, and taking on that high-powered Buckeye team, especially after what happened last year. So I'm not going to just blatantly say that I'm 100% sure that this will happen, but I'm hopeful. It, it looks like we've got the recipe. It looks like uh, the offensive line controlling the line of scrimmage, the run game. Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't have to pump the brakes on that. Let's let's keep on driving into the bye week. And then next week, we've, uh, we've got the, the Michigan State Spartans. Both of us will be in attendance. Um, don't forget, if you like the podcast, to, to click subscribe on Apple or Spotify or whatever you get, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Matt, as always, it's a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for doing this with me. Um, any parting words of wisdom? Um, no parting words of wisdom, but I will leave all of you with some statistics by the numbers of what we have here, in case any of you were wondering after this week against Penn State. While Michigan doesn't remain in uh, the top 10 in total offense, we dropped to 22nd, uh, but stay in the top 10 in rush offense at 9th. And at defense, we remain at number 4th in total defense in the country, uh, passing yards allowed, ninth, rushing yards allowed, sixth, uh, pass, pass efficiency, fourth, scoring defense, fifth. So an excellent uh, defensive effort through the first seven weeks. Um, Blake Corum absolutely lighting it up. Uh, rushing touchdowns, he leads the nation with 13. Rushing yards, uh, second with 901. Rushing yards per game, sixth with 128. And rushing yards per carry, 28th with uh, 6.17. I mean, yeah, we're racking up the stats. And from an offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency standpoint, um, I saw coming into this, week uh bama and michigan were the only two that were in the top 10 of, of both categories and and given what happened with bama last week michigan might be the the last one standing um in, in that truly balanced offensive and defensive approach and then of course as you mentioned uh blake Corum is racking up stats left and right so we, we've got a lot of reason to be optimistic um you know we're seven and zero heading into the bye week Spartans after that. Uh, Mr. Hartwell, you have a good week, sir. Uh, that was episode three of the Big House Bleachers podcast. As always, go Blue. Go Blue.